the speakers. And you can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 3. And the writer, whoever this is, gives a nice succinct summary of where we're at. Obviously, even though the book is called 2 Samuel in our Bibles, uh, Samuel is no longer the narrator because he's died. We don't know for sure who the writer is of the rest of this. Too, too many people to um, give an accurate, even an accurate guess. But it says here there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And the, good, and the summary here, David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. After Saul's death, David is brought forth um, as king uh, of his own tribe of Judah. And Saul's general, Abner, somehow survived the battle. And he quickly um, puts into place Ishbosheth, a, a surviving son of Saul that we don't hear about until this point. And he is king. He's a puppet king. Really, Abner is the power behind Ishbosheth. Ishbosheth is rather a weak personality. Perhaps that's why they didn't have him fight in the battle. Maybe they just had him in the wings in case they needed someone else at Saul's children as king. As we'll see tonight, though, he's uh, pretty weak and easy to be intimidated. So Abner's really the power there. Um, and in the midst of this conflict, David is careful. He's patient. And I do believe, I was thinking through this as I was continued to study, just to kind of give a little more clarity here. Um, I believe that if all God had let David, allowed David to be king over was the king, was the tribe of Judah, he would have been fine with that. But I do believe there was the expectation with David that he would be king over all of Israel. I believe the Samuel made that apparent in anointing him. And I do think that that was in David's mind although it wasn't, um, a, it wasn't a position that he held on to with all of his might, like Saul or like some of the other kings. Uh, I think he just knew that in God's timing that God would work all that out and he would be king. And David is content to wait and be patient. And oh, if only the others around him had that same attitude, but they don't. And there's war, there's fighting. And we went through one of the battles last week. Uh, Joab is David's general, and he has two brothers, and they got into a fight in Gibeon with some of Abner's men, and they got into a huge battle. And then Joab's brother, um, Asahel, which is also David's cousin, pursued after Abner. Maybe he thought he would just end this whole thing now. Again, uh, not the direction that David wanted to go. Abner warned Asahel many times, and Asahel continued to pursue him. And so Abner, it seems, took his spear, but the back of it, the butt end of it, to try to push him away. And somehow with his um, adrenaline flowing, or whether it was God's power, he, the thing goes through uh, Asahel, and he dies there in that uh, they pursue, it kind of ends the battle there. Everyone goes home 
um, David's men, if there was a winner, although that really both sides lost in this and battling in the first place, um, David's side loses less men. And this, this um, fighting and this contention is going on in a violent way in the midst of Israel, in the midst of the kingdom. And at the same time, David's growing stronger. And we went through a list of his children. He's gathering wives here. We went through how that was not God's um, perfect will uh, for even the kings of Israel. But it is meant here as just a sign that David is becoming stronger and stronger, um, more powerful. And now we're going to see the other side of this. Uh, Ishbosheth, on the other hand, the weak king that's under that's under Abner, really Saul's former general. Uh, he continues to get weaker and weaker, and he makes a fatal mistake here in verse six. He gets jealous. It seems as if Ishbosheth has the same kind of paranoia that his father did. Paranoia for those that are trying to take his power away, and he makes um, a very unfortunate accusation. <coughs> against his general Abner, who he desperately needs in order to continue uh, to be king. And he does something very unfortunate here. He accuses him of wrongdoing. Let's look at verse six. While there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner, again, that's Saul's general, was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Abner is the strength in this behind Ishbosheth. Now Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Ai. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? Then Abner was very angry over the words of Ishbosheth, and understandably so. Um, this is a, an accusation from the king as he obviously suspects his general is making moves to take the throne away from him. And this act that is described here, you would only do this if you were intent upon taking the throne or trying to overthrow someone. Um, and obviously Abner here, we're going to see in just a second, is greatly insulted. The question is really on one of them, is, are the allegations true? And Abner in his response here doesn't technically refute them, but his reaction does seem to negate the charges. And it doesn't really seem to fit within his aspirations of power anyway. Abner seems very comfortable to be the guy behind the scenes, the guy behind the curtain, and letting Ishbosheth be up front. He doesn't seem to want to be in a hurry to try to put himself out as the main figure. He likes, he's comfortable with the situation. And he seems in his response here very indignant and um insulted. So probably this accusation that Bosheth makes is totally false. And Abner, verse 8, was very angry over the words of Ishbosheth and said, am I a dog's head of Judah? And by the way, there's not one insult that's any worse that you could give someone in this time than call somebody a dog. I know that's hard for all of us pet lovers and dog lovers out there. But back during this time, dogs were not nice animals. They were scavengers. They were dirty. They Honestly, they were like vultures. We think of vultures today. People back then would say, well, why would you want a vulture as a pet? Because they, they were predators and they, they fed off, off, you know, dead things. You get the idea. Um, they weren't looked upon very well. And so to call somebody a dog was one of the worst 
insults that you could give. And Abner says, what you've said to me is basically, you might as well just call me a dog or even a dog's head for this insult. Because here's why he's insulted. To this day, I keep showing steadfast love to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not given you into the hand of David, and yet you charge me today with a fault concerning a woman. He says, look at my actions. I've done nothing but be loyal to you. I've been nothing but been loyal to your family. It was my idea to set you up as king. I'm really the power in essence, and I've protected you from, from uh, being captured and done away with by the hand of David. Now, that's not David's style. I don't think we're going to see here very soon that that's not what David intended. He had no intention in killing Ishbosheth, whatever Abner may think. And he's done all of this. He has proved his loyalty to this man, and yet he brings a very um, serious false accusation against him. And we can understand this. When we have someone that we're loyal to and they accuse us of something that we haven't done, that hurts. And it makes us angry. And we can understand that. And Abner here is very angry. You don't want to make the guy angry who's the, who's the guy that's your power source, right? <laughs> the guy that is helping you, get has helped you get to where you are and is keeping you protected. Not a wise move on Ishbosheth's part. In verse 9 here then, Abner has rethought this whole thing. God do so to Abner and more also if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him. Isn't this interesting what he says here? To transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba. What I find interesting here is here Abner admits that he's known for a while that David, God intends for David to be king over all of Israel. I wonder if he remembers back, you remember when um, the second time that David spared Saul's life and Saul basically prophesies and says, you will be king over all Israel one day, David. And I wonder if Abner heard at that point and he knew, which is interesting then because he had no problem in disregarding what he knew God's will to be for his own purposes. That shows a fatal character flaw with Abner in this. But it's like God gets his attention in this with Ishbosheth, and he realizes his wrong, and now he's ready to do right and to give the kingdom back over to David. <laughs> Ishbosheth, well, what are you going to do? There's not anything. He can't, he doesn't have anything to say at all. He could not answer Abner another word because he feared him, and rightly so. Because he's the only way that Ishbosheth has made it to power as weak as he is. And now he's made it clear he's turning against him for this grave insult. All Ishbosheth can do is cower, as Abner says, I'm David's man now. Oh, not a good situation. And it shows that Ishbosheth is losing power while David continues to gain strength, even in this incident. But Abner's careful. He knows that. Um, he's done some harm here, and he's lost some credibility, certainly with David and with the people of Judah. So he's careful in this. He's going to start negotiations. And so rather than just go to David and talk with him one-on-one, -on -one, he sends some messengers first to suggest a truce and a covenant alliance. You know, send somebody else and his messengers and, and 
second in a secondhand way suggests to David, hey, white flag. What about a truce here? And Abner sent messages to David on his behalf, saying, To whom does the land belong? Make your covenant with me, and behold, my hand shall be with you to bring all Israel to do, or to you, excuse me. Um, he suggests, let's make a covenant. David, I'm with you. I'm your man now. I don't even think he really apologizes, but maybe there was an apology in there. Now, uh, he's, he's ready to make a covenant. He's ready to bring Israel together under David. And, you know, David's probably still smarting from the loss of his cousin that Abner killed. I don't know if he knew the circumstances around it or not. Uh, David was probably bothered by this. And, and maybe he struggled with anger for a bit, but he realizes in this situation, David realizes God's hand. And he knows that in order for Abner to capitulate to him in this way and want now to have a covenant alliance with him, that this has to be God's work. And David is glad to see this and makes it very apparent that he um, thinks that this is a good thing and he's ready because again, um, David is careful not to let his emotions or his feelings of vengeance and all these things God has taught him don't rashly um, in anger um, try to do things your own way. Let me work. And I think David, again, as I just said, he sees the hand of God in this and he says, this is good. Yes, we, we need peace in this kingdom. And Abner is going to provide that for me. And this is what God has been working towards. Yes, verse 13, I will make a covenant with you. But there is one thing that I must ask of you. I require of you, in fact. That is, you shall not see my face unless you first bring Michal, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. Now, remember Michal. She was David's first wife, his first love. And do you remember what King Saul did in his spite toward David? He actually married her off to someone else just to get back at David. We're really never told Michal's emotions in all of this. Was she um, happy about the arrangement? Um, we're going to see here that it's a very uh, pathetic scene as she's returned um, back to David. But why would, why would this be important to David? Anybody? I mean, you know, Saul married her off to someone else. He obviously, he has other wives. He's having kids. He's um, they're fruitful and multiplying. Why, why is this such a big deal? I mean, literally, I'm not going to make a covenant with you unless I get Mikael back. Any, any thoughts? He might have loved her deeply because she was his first wife. Yeah, yeah, and all the details of this, right, unfortunately, it does sound kind of awkward. He's his first wife. She was his first wife. Of course, he loved her. He's got, what, three more, four more now? It also makes him a relative Saul. Ah, there you go. It, it reestablishes that strong connection with Saul's family. And remember, really, that's the purpose politically of why he has these wives in the first place he's trying to unify the land and one important link that's still broken in many respects is that link with Saul's family and Macau is the um, way that he can smooth that over and bringing her back um, also the the idea of 
one of the king's wives being given over to someone else shows a lack of, of, of power and show really um, it shows it has smacks of the idea of someone trying to usurp the king's throne. So all these cultural things play into this. And so it becomes very important for David to receive to, for Michal to be brought back to him. In verse 14, David sent messengers to Ishbosheth. Obviously, this is very important to him because he repeats this. Messengers to the king of Israel, Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife, Michal, for whom I pray, paid the bridal price of the hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth is in no situation to argue at this point <laughs> because he's scared to death. And he sent and took her from her husband, Taltiel, the son of Laish. Now here's the awkward, the sad part here. But her husband went with her, weeping after her all the way to the Huron. I mean, obviously, whatever had happened, there. this is a loving relationship. Um, her her husband is not to be faulted. I mean, the king gave this woman to him to marry. He certainly thought probably that everything was on the up and up. And obviously they had such a good relationship that he is really broken and leaving her. How does Mikal feel? Well, we're not really told. I guess is she probably had a hard time too, if he's having a hard time. Um, folks, you know, I just think about this. Sin makes things really messy, doesn't it? makes things really complicated. If you've ever dealt with people that have um, been divorced and, and remarried and or, or even divorced a couple of times and remarried again and the relationships with the children, God can give grace. God can work in those situations and help people, but it gets a little messy at times. And this is one of those things. Abner, so this public humiliation of this man uh, Abner finally has to step in and say, uh, say, Paltiel, uh, <clears throat> go home. Just go home. There's nothing you can do. And the man returned. And so David now has Michal back as well. Again, overall, this picture of David succeeding and Saul's house being more and more weakened. And now we have Abner getting together with David and the elders of Israel. Now that he's done this for David. They're able to meet together, and now he wants to solidify the covenant, and he has a speech here. He says, for some time past, you have been seeking David as king over you. Now then, bring it about, for the Lord has promised David, saying, by the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. Abner is, just to be clear here, he's, he's made things right with David. That's good. Now he goes to the elders of the northern kingdom of Israel and says, guys, um, this, this is not a new thing that I'm going to suggest to you. You've actually come to me and ask about David being king. And maybe they were tired of all the fighting somehow as well. It's obvious with Abner and these men that there was an understanding between them that God ultimately wanted David as king, which is kind of fascinating to me that they were willing to fight so hard against this. But he, he, mentions in verse 18 as he's trying to bring these elders along so that they'll accept David as king. He mentions the promise the Lord has made to David that he would deliver Israel from all their enemies through David's hand. And Abner's saying, that's a good deal. Uh, he's probably saying, Ishbosheth can't do that for you, but David can. So let's make him king. 
And Abner also spoke specifically to the tribe of Benjamin. I don't know if there was like some sort of specific animosity with Benjamin, but he wants to negotiate with them as well. Then Abner went to tell David at Hebron. And remember, that's where David's uh, residing in his capital as king there in Judah. All that he went to tell David at Hebron, all that Israel and the whole house of Benjamin thought good to do. Everybody's coming together. We've got peace here. Finally, we've been waiting for a long time for this. Remember, seven years after David, um, after Saul's death is when um, David was finally made king over all Israel. David's been very patient. And it seems as if this is the time where it's going to happen. And Abner came with 20 men to David at Hebron. David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. And Abner said to David, you know, greater worlds of loyalty no man has ever spoke, right? He says, I will arise and go and will gather all Israel to my Lord, the king. I'll make it happen. I'm going to gather them all and I'm going to bring them to you so that you can be king over them. And they're all going to make a covenant with you, David and that you may reign over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. Wow. David's patience and waiting on God's timing has accomplished far more than any army's show of force. Abner, Joab couldn't accomplish this. They just fight each other all the time, but David has been careful. David is patient. David listens. You get an idea that even with his cousins, with Joab, there's not a lot of listening involved. There's a lot of passion and vengeance and anger. And David shows here, when you do things God's way, God and his timing will work all this out. David's now going to receive his heart's desire. There'll be peace in the kingdom. Well, not quite. Just wait a minute. And let's continue to read. Because remember, I told you that David has these people around him that keep messing things up because of their wrong reactions, wrong ways of handling things. And again, folks, I think one of the big themes in all of this is even when you are, you are faithfully committed to God and serving him and submitting to him, what do you do when the people around you, even the people that are closest to you, keep sinning and making things hard and and really making things difficult. We all know, we just said sin's very messy and it's very frustrating for a faithful committed servant of God to even have his own family or her family members or close friends doing things that affect them when they're just trying to serve God. Don't these people get it, Lord? And The sinful actions of the people around David are really going to complicate things for him, and he's going to give us a good example of how to handle that. So it's already a good day. Joab returns from a raid and makes the day even better. Verse 22, just then the servants of David arrived with Joab from a raid, bringing much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David at Hebron, for he had sent him away, and he had gone in peace. Joab returns from a raid, and this bringing uh, much The results of the successful raid, the spoil would have been a great source of uh, financial help and resources for David's kingdom and people. Um, It was another uh, wonderful bit of news to hear in this. Unfortunately, it's going to be marred soon with revenge and insubordination from this man. 
And Joab soon hears the news that David and Abner have made peace. Of course, as soon as he would come into town, um, Abner's left. And that would be one of the first things that people tell Joab. Joab, guess what? Abner's made peace with David. Or maybe there's some that say, Joab, guess what? Can you believe David's made peace with Abner? That guy who killed your brother? What's Joab's response? Well, he's livid about it. And he's going to go straight to the king with this problem, which is good. But his attitude is awful. Let's look here. When Joab and all the army that was with him came, it was told Joab, Abner, the son of Nair, came to the king and he has let him go and he has gone in peace. Then Joab went to the king and said, what have you done? Behold, Abner came to you. Why is it that you have sent him away so that he is gone? You know that Abner, the son of Nair, came to deceive you and to know you're going out and you're coming in and to know all that you're doing, demands, accusations. This man hasn't come ready to talk and hear an explanation. He hasn't come with a listening ear. He's come to make accusations and to show his anger about this. And he says, my position, David, is that Abner's deceiving you. He's trying to get information, and he's still a threat, and he's still going to be a threat to you. And really, isn't his attitude here one of disrespect and superiority? I know better than you do, David. You don't get it, but I do. I think he's obviously, we're, we were told here in just a few minutes, the unfortunate results of this. He's angry about the loss of his brother. But there's also another aspect of this, if you think about it. What happens in the alliance? What, what does David do with Abner? Probably give him some responsibilities in the military. All of a sudden, Joab's position is in jeopardy here. I think he's jealous. He wonders, I wonder what David's going to do with Abner. And is he going to outrank me? So all of this anger and selfishness is going on in Joab. And so he operates in just the opposite manner as his kingly cousin. And he formulates his own plan without consulting David at all. And here is this unfortunate, very sad outcome of one man's anger and jealousy and rage. 26, when Joab came out from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the cistern of Sirah. But David did not know about it. Now, this was a cunning plan. Joab sends messengers after Abner. Abner and David have just made peace. Abner would have no idea uh, he would think that things are, are, are on a peaceful um, condition and that everything's okay. He'd really have no idea that Joab might have something sinister in mind here because David and, and he have worked out a peaceful agreement. He would expect that from Joab as well. And that, unfortunately, is to Abner or Joab's favor. And when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the midst of the gate to speak with him privately. Hey, hey, Abner. Got a private conference. David sent me. Yeah, we need to talk over some things. You know, let's figure out the military aspects here and how you're going to work things out. I don't know what he said to him in particular, but he makes it clear. We need to have a private conversation, general to general. And Abner, of course, still, he would, wouldn't think that he would suspect nothing at all. And unfortunately, then, Joab, and this is a man that will continue to do this many times rather than show patience and reasonableness. He's all rage and vengeance, and he acts out on this. 
And so he spoke with him privately, and there he struck him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of his brother. And word got back, verse 28, to David, and David said, I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. May it fall upon the head of Joab and upon all fathers, the father, his father's house. And may the house of Joab never be without one who has a discharge or who is leprous or who holds a spindle or another translation who um, holds, who holds a crutch or who falls by the sword or who lacks bread. David hears of this very quickly, word spreads quickly, and he immediately makes it clear to everyone that he has no blame in this. He didn't even know about it. He was unaware entirely. And then he calls for a curse of the Lord's judgment on Joab's house instead. Now, David's angry here. And David, when he heard this, I'm sure that in this, as he's cursing his cousin for the grief that he's brought upon them, they were this close to peace, right? And one guy that he trusted, his general that he trusted, maybe above all the other people in his life at this point, gives prey to his anger and jealousy and rage and can really just blow up the kingdom. I don't know if you've ever followed, if you like to follow history, but if you've ever read of the history of World War I, probably remember, although I know it's very complicated, in a um, strict sense, World War I was started by one assassin who um, murdered a, a ruler because of anger and rage. And that one nation, um, alliances went back and forth and World War I started up because of, of one man. One man can do a lot of damage in a country and David knows this. And so he wants everyone to know, this was not me. It's all on Joab and on his father's house. And this curse that he calls upon him is very severe. Basically, that Joab will never, will always have someone who has some sort of disability or weakness that will be uh, of immense um, disturbance and pain to Joab. David's angry. But isn't it interesting, where does David go when he's angry? Goes to the Lord. And even if he's wrong in his anger and this curse, he's at least going to the Lord. While the people around him, uh, like Joab, cunning, murderous plots, fighting, and the peace of the entire kingdom is in jeopardy because of a couple of vengeful, angry men, Joab and his brothers. As we finish up here, We'll look, continue to look at this next week. But Joab or David takes the situation in his control and makes Joab um, and his uh, military leadership, um, he, he makes them humble themselves as they start this funeral procession and, and basically show their, their grief with David's grief and show that they were wrong in the midst of this. We'll get all to this next week, but David handles this in the right way. Even though it's a family member, David's not afraid to say, you've done wrong, and I'm not going to shield you from the effects of this, because I, I have been doing right, I have followed after God, and you chose your own way, and you're going to suffer the consequences of this. So some applications here. By the way, let's just have this um, out there. God's going to make all this okay. 
He's going to tie this up. He's going to give David the kingdom. We're going to see this next week. But some applications here. Again, the, the theme that I'm that I really sense in this, what do you do when you're a faithful, godly person who wants to be committed to God and these people in your life are just making things so complicated? Well, one of the things that we learn, obviously, David has learned to consider his words carefully, but there's many other characters in the story that still err greatly in the way that they speak. You have Ishbosheth's ill-advised accusation, Abner's angry response, and Joab's arrogant response toward David's authority, all of his uncontrolled words are reflected in these men's actions. So let's follow David's example in this. Seek God's help in your attitudes and responses towards others. David did not get bitter over recent happenings, but he still sought the way toward peace. He sought God's way. He didn't even let the, the death of a family member get in the way of what he knew God wanted to do. How do you react when very difficult, surprising things happen in your life? Do you respond in anger and vengeance, or are you patient? Let God handle it. Jealousy and a vengeful spirit lead to acting out in wrong anger. We see that with Joab. David had a high view of God, and his sovereign control of events humbles and subdues one to rely on God's timing and purposes and events in our lives. Humility is so important. Why? In these situations, because it helps one to listen and hear the other's perspective rather than fly off the handle. David listened. He listened to Abner. And he said, that's the way God is directing us. He's, Joab's not listening to anybody. He's just telling everybody what he's going to do. Total opposite characters here. And we know which one God is pleased with. And here's one more. And this is kind of sensitive here. I think it's important. We need to be careful in the midst of family sin crises to always take God's side in the matter. And, and folks, yes, we love, we want to protect our family. When family does things that are wrong, even whether it's our kids or, or our parents or people we're close to, these were David's cousins, but they were also close friends of his. He, he, Joab was his general. They were in life-threatening situations together. We love, we want to protect our family, but folks, sometimes um, I've seen the opposite of this, where people are so intent upon protecting, whether it's their children or other family members, that they almost come across like they would argue or, uh, and fight with God against their family member. And if you're to that point and you don't see the, the wrong in that, then you're at a very dangerous point. Uh, we're going to see later on, David wasn't a perfect husband and father by any means. He wasn't. But he was willing to make it clear to everyone that the wrongs had been committed, even if it was own close family members. And he's, he's a good example of being a faithful example, dealing with wrong choices, but realizing in the end that God alone can change a family member's heart and life. So in these very difficult family situations, trust God. Ask him to have the right, the wise words to say. Deal with sins there. Deal with the wrong choices. But realize, folks, in your family situation that in the end, you can't change that person. That's God's job. And David, in the end, he says, God, you take this. I can't deal with it. 
they'll say later on, these sons of Zariah are more severe than I am. I can't handle them, Lord. You deal with them and let God work in those situations. And he will. And pray that those people will see they're wrong and repent and turn and come back to God. Because we love them, right? They're family members. They're close friends. We want to see repentance.